Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, and welcome to the Molson Coors Beverage Company third quarter 2020 earnings conference call. You can find related slides on the investor relations page of the Molson Coors website. Our speakers today are Gavin Hattersley, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Tracy Jobert, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I'll hand it over to Greg Tierney, Vice President of FP&A and Investor Relations. All right, thank you, Danielle, and hello, everyone. Following prepared remarks uh, from Gavin and Tracy, we will take your questions. Please limit yourself to one question. If you do have one more, more than one question to ask, uh, please ask your most pressing question first, and then re-answer the queue to follow up. And if you have technical questions on the quarter, please pick them up with me or Tracy Mangini in the, on the IR team in the days and weeks to follow. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements, and actual results or trends could differ materially from our forecast. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in our most recent filings with the SEC. We assume no obligation to update forward-looking statements. And gap reconciliations for any non-U.S. gap measures are included in our news release or otherwise available on our website. Also, unless, uh, unless otherwise indicated, all financial results the company discusses are versus the comparable prior year period and in U.S. dollars. And with that, over to you, Gavin. Thank you, Greg, and thank you all for joining us today. Well, what a year it's been so far. If you're like most people, there are probably a lot of words that come to mind when you think of 2020. But for Molson Quiz, this year can be summarized in three words. Persistence, perseverance, and progress. That is how 2020 has been defined by the Molson Quiz Beverage Company as we drive for top-line growth. We're very pleased with our performance in the third quarter as we beat top and bottom line expectations and made tangible progress on our revitalization plan. We had bold plans at the beginning of 2020 to build on the strength of our iconic core brands, aggressively grow our above premium portfolio, expand beyond the beer aisle, invest in our capabilities, and support our people and our communities. Yet 2020 has presented new obstacles for everyone for which we've had to adjust. Like all other beverage companies, one of the biggest challenges this year has been packaging supply. To put into perspective the scope of the challenges, we sold 300 million more cans of beer in the first nine months of 2020 than we did in the same period in 2019 in the United States alone. And there have been times over the past few months when demand for tall cans was four times what it was in 2019. I'm pleased to report that while work remains, inventory is steadily improving in the U.S. We are approaching historical levels of paperboard supply. We are confirming most orders for bottled beer and seeing steady improvement in supply. Our 12-ounce industry standard can supply is stabilizing, and we anticipate it will continue to increase through the year as we return to full inventory. And we are starting to more fully cover demand for tall cans and expect steady improvement in inventory through the balance of the year. When 2020 has thrown us challenges like this, we've met each challenge head on and we have never lost sight of our plan. 
Now we're able to show what's possible as we execute that plan, as we drive toward top-line growth. Coors Light and Miller Light grew 6% and 9.5% respectively in the U.S. off-premise so far this year. As of today, their combined segment share has grown for 24 consecutive quarters. That is six straight years. And our aim now is to stabilize our biggest brands in the total beer category. Above premium products are a record high portion of our U.S. portfolio since the business formed in 2008, despite the on-premise restrictions. By the end of 2021, we plan to capture a double-digit share of the U.S. seltzer market, backed by what arguably is the most complete seltzer portfolio in the business. Trust, our Canadian joint venture, has quickly become a market share leader of ready-to-drink cannabis beverages in Canada. The company estimates market share of over 50% in key markets, such as Quebec. And we believe that our emerging growth division can become a $1 billion business in revenue terms in three years' time. We are expanding our production capacity for Celsius by over 400% and for Blue Moon Light Sky by approximately 400%. We will continue prioritizing capital projects that will allow us to further expand our Celsius and innovation production capacity. We redefined our company values, set out to increase representation of people of color at all levels of our company, and redirected some social media spending to support organizations dedicated to social justice, equity, and empowerment. We will continue to take tangible steps to build a brighter future for our people and our communities. I want to pause here. I know there are questions about the complexity of our revitalization plan and about our ability to execute. But not only can it be done in the future, we are already doing it today. As you can see, we are building on the strength of our core while growing our above premium portfolio and planting the seeds for future growth beyond beer. And we're investing in our capabilities and our people to make it all possible. I want to drill down on each of these a little more. As I mentioned earlier, it is a great sign of strength of our core brands that Coors Light and Miller Light grew 6% and 9.5% respectively in the U.S. off-premise so far this year. And the combined segment share of our two largest U.S. brands has grown for six straight years. And Coors Light again achieved a record high segment share in the U.S. since the business formed in 2008 per Nielsen. And our market... Research shows Coors Light has seen the biggest year-to-date improvement in consideration across the category, especially with 21 to 34-year-old consumers. In Canada, Molson Ultra has performed very well this year, up 32% so far, and has surpassed a large competitor in share of grocery in Quebec, based on the recent four-week data per Nielsen. Our national champion brands in Europe saw significant trend improvement as a large percentage of the on-trade had already reopened at the beginning of the third quarter. In 2020, we have increased our number of major sports alliances across all of North America, and while we aren't spending money against a lot of them this year during the pandemic, these partnerships should benefit our biggest brands for years to come. We have also seen great progress in growing our above premium portfolio. Above premium products grew in the third quarter and have reached a record high portion of our overall portfolio in the United States since the business was formed in 2008. Blue Moon Light Sky, which launched in February, has sold over 1.6 million cases through the end of the third quarter and is 2020's top-selling new beer in the United States, per Nielsen. And Light Sky is highly incremental to the Blue Moon brand, 
Blooming Belgian White, the largest craft brand in the United States, has seen the third highest growth in the off-premise among all craft brands in 2020, according to Nielsen. With a light sky at number one, the Blooming family has easily achieved the highest off-premise growth in 2020 among all craft franchises, according to Nielsen. And this progress in above premium beer extends to Europe. In Europe and outside of its home market, the Stade Plamen brand grew by 9% in volume in the quarter. And our export and license team grew volumes by 3% in the quarter, thereby expanding the footprint and size of our premium positioned brands across the wider European segment. Turning to Celsius, Vizzy has risen to number 8 on the Nielsen Top 10 Growth Brands chart in 2020, selling over 2.5 million cases since its April launch. And it is seeing the highest repeat purchase rate amongst all Celsius made by the major beer suppliers. And we are incredibly excited by the early results for Coors Seltzer, which has matched Vizzy's hot sales in its first months on shelves. And in some key retailers, the Coors Seltzer variety pack is outselling the Bud Light Seltzer variety pack. Folks, we are building out arguably the deepest, most diversified portfolio of hard seltzers in the industry. We came into 2020 with an under two share of a segment. We are now four share. And by the end of next year, we plan to capture a double digit share of the U.S. seltzer market. That is possible because of the depth and differentiation of our seltzer portfolio. We believe Vizzy, with its acerola cherry high antioxidants from vitamin C, is the best positioned product on the market in the better for you space. We believe Coors Seltzer can become the number one beer brand in the segment through the strength of its name and its social mission around restoring America's waterways. Topo Chico Hard Seltzer has something no other product offers, the benefit of the massive following of the Coca-Cola company's Topo Chico sparkling mineral water in a number of major markets across the United States. Proofpoint will also launch next year, differentiating itself with premium ingredients like real spirits. And I would remind you that with our distribution deal for Bodega Bay Hard Seltzer in the UK and Ireland, Olsen Coors is an early mover among European hard seltzers. We have even more about premium growth opportunities coming in 2021 when we bring Yingling Westwood under our new joint venture. There are 25 states open for expansion under the JV, all with zero Yingling distribution today and tens of millions of legal age drinkers. That is a significant growth opportunity for our company and for Yingling. Our emerging growth division has been doing a great job planting the seeds for future growth opportunities beyond the bureau. Earlier in the year, we launched Movo, our first canned wine, and the Trust Joint Venture launched very well CBD and THC drops in Canada. And in the third quarter, we stepped it up. Trust launched its first ready-to-drink cannabis beverages in Canada partway through the quarter, and already it has become a market share leader. The company estimates market share of over 50% in key markets like Quebec. We launched a new line of non-alcohol products created in the beverage incubator LA Libations, we took a minority stake in Zenwater by noted beverage innovator Lance Collins, and we launched Vine Botanical Hop Water in Canada. In Europe, we signed an exclusive agreement with Miami Cocktail Company to distribute their growing brands in the United Kingdom and Ireland. This is really just the beginning for us. We're learning in some of the spaces, in a capital-efficient way, I would add, and we'll apply what we learn to future growth opportunities beyond beer. That is why I'm confident that altogether, our emerging growth division can become a $1 billion business. For as much activity as you've seen in the past few months, you can expect to see more coming. 
In the next few weeks, our U.S. trust joint venture with Hexo will launch its first CBD-based products in Colorado, making us an early mover in this area. And soon, Molson Coors will be the distributor of La Colombe's incredible lineup of ready-to-drink coffees in the off-premise, starting with drug and convenience store channels, another great example of how we can leverage our strengths to find meaningful, profitable top-line growth. And to achieve growth under our revitalization plan, we can't just rely on our stellar marketing team. We are investing in our capabilities to make it happen. We intend to expand our hard seltzer production capacity by over 400% by the end of this year. By early 2021, we expect to complete a project to expand Blue Moon Light Sky production capacity by approximately 400% as well. We just turned on a new sleek can production line at the Rocky Mountain Metal Company a joint venture with Ball Corporation, capable of producing 750 million cans a year. We're modernizing our brewery in Golden, Colorado, making it easier to brew the beverages of the future. During the coronavirus, we have improved online sales in the U.S. by approximately 200% through the three-tier structure, while also developing new e-commerce and direct-to-consumer channels for our business in Canada. These investments will help power our business forward, and we will continue prioritizing capital projects to continue expanding our production capacity for seltzers and innovations in 2021 and 2022. I've talked a lot about how the revitalization plan shapes our business actions, and it's also shaping how we support our people and our communities. That started earlier this year when we redefined our company values, starting with putting our people first. We built from there all year long. Just this month, we held our first week of inclusion, full week of forums, presentations, and conversations about how to be more inclusive, how to be allies to our teammates, and how to hold ourselves accountable. We set out to increase representation of people of color at all levels of our company, and in the early months have shown a business that is growing more diverse. We redirected social media spending to 25 national and local organizations working to address issues of equality, empowerment, racial justice, and community building. We launched a new scholarship program supporting people of color and LGBTQ students seeking degrees in brewing or fermentation sciences. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to drive change, and we are doing just that. And we're not going to slow down. When complete, the modernization project in Golden will significantly reduce CO2 emissions from the brewery, it will reduce energy usage by 15%, and it will reduce our water usage by 100 million gallons per year. Look, we've made a lot of news over the past two months, from our continued investments behind our core brands, to the expansion of our seltzer production capacity, to our joint venture with Yingling, to our new line of non-alcohol beverages, to the launch of Coors Seltzer, to the addition of Topo Chica Hard Seltzer, to the distribution deal with La Colombe. These are not a series of one-offs. They all represent parts of one single strategy to drive our business to top-line growth. Now, we face a lot of criticism over the years about the shape of our portfolio in the U.S., where it is too heavily weighted towards our two premium-like brands. I understand the viewpoint, but I believe our core is our strength, and as I've outlined, a key part of our plan is to build on the strength of our iconic core brands. And yet, interestingly, under this strategy, as we roll out plans to aggressively grow our above-premium portfolio and expand into fast-growing above-premium beverages beyond the barrel, 
There have been questions as to whether these actions add too much complexity or distraction and we should stick to our core. But to suggest that we must focus only on our core brands or only on innovations is a false choice. It's not binary, it's both. Part of our revitalization strategy, we organized our business to do exactly that. The progress we are making is promising. Our 2020 above premium innovations have already delivered an incremental 5.7 million cases for our business. The health of our iconic core brands continues to improve and we are planting the seeds for new growth opportunities beyond the barrel. That is the plan we announced last October. That is the plan we're executing. And that is the plan we believe will deliver top line growth for this business. And now I'll pass it over to Tracy for the financial highlights. Trace? Thank you, Gavin, and hello, everyone. Um, I will first cover the quarter on a consolidated and regional basis and then move to our outlook. So to recap the quarter, net sales revenue decreased 3.6% in constant currency, a significant improvement from our second quarter performance. In the third quarter, we saw volume declines, principally in the on-premise channels, along with the corresponding negative channel mix implications across all major markets. These impacts were partially offset by higher net pricing, as well as the U.S. overcoming channel mix challenges to deliver positive brand mix behind strong performances in Busy, Blue Moon Light Sky, and Cruise Salsa. North America's shipment timing was positive in the third quarter, but remained impacted by the packaging material constraints. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 2.1% in constant currency, reflecting positive net pricing in the U.S. and Canada, more than offsetting negative mix effects globally due to the various market dynamics and consumer shifts caused by the coronavirus pandemic. While a significant number of the on-premise establishments were open throughout the quarter, those that were open were not operating at full capacity. This had an adverse impact, albeit improving from second quarter levels on mix globally. As many of our higher-end products are skewed towards the on-premise, closures or restrictions in this channel has an unfavorable impact on our brand and channel mix. Worldwide brand volume decreased 5.2%, while financial volume decreased 5%. Underlying COGS per hectoliter increased 1.5% on a constant currency basis, driven by inflation and volume deleverage, partially offset by cost savings initiatives. Underlying MG&A decreased 7.6% on a constant currency basis, driven by reduced marketing spend, partially offset by slightly higher G&A, as we cycled one-time benefits related to long-term incentive compensation reversals in the third quarter of 2019. This was largely offset by revitalization cost savings and lower discretionary spend. As a result, underlying EBITDA grew 0.5% on a constant currency basis. Underlying free cash flow of $1.160 million for the nine months ended September the 30th, 2020, was $275 million favorable to the prior year period, driven by favorable working capital. The working capital benefit was driven by the deferral of over $200 million in tax payments from various government-sponsored payment deferral programs related to the coronavirus pandemic, of which of which we currently anticipate approximately half to be paid in the fourth quarter of 2020, while the remaining amount to be paid beyond this fiscal year. 
In North America, net sales revenue decreased 0.8% in constant currency, driven by financial volume declines of 4%, reflecting lower brand volume. North America brand volumes decreased 5.2% as the on-premise closures or limited capacity reopenings during the quarter more than offset the strength in both the US and Canada in the off-premise. Also contributing to the decline was packaging constraints, which primarily impacted the economy and premium segments as we prioritized higher margin SKUs. In the US, brand volumes decreased 5.3% compared to domestic shipment declines of 3.9% in our efforts to address the year-to-date under-shipment position attributed to the aluminum can supply constraints. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 3.6% in constant currency, driven by net pricing increases in the US and Canada, and favourable brand and package mix in the US, partially offset by negative brand and channel mix in Canada, attributed to the shift of volume from the on-premise to the off-premise. In the US, net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis increased 4.6%, driven by favourable sales mix and net pricing. The US delivered its best quarterly sales mix performance in the last decade, and the best brand mix performance since the first quarter of 2014. In Canada, negative mix more than offset the net pricing increases, while in Latin America, net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis was largely consistent with the prior year. Underlying EBITDA increased 2.5% in constant currency, as MG&A reductions more than offset unfavorable growth profit from lower financial volumes and cost inflation. The MG&A reductions were driven by lower marketing spend in areas impacted by the coronavirus pandemic, such as sports, events, and festivals. We also adjusted the timing of marketing investments behind brands and packs for which we experienced supply constraints. However, media and advertising spend ramped up sequentially within the quarter and increased compared to the prior year period as we supported core brands and key innovations. Also contributing to the MG&A reductions were other cost-mitigating actions and the continued progress in realizing cost savings related to the revitalization plan. All of this was partially offset by cycling lower incentive compensation in the prior year period largely due to the one-time benefits from long-term compensation reversals in the third quarter of 2019, as mentioned earlier. For Europe, which is more heavily skewed towards the on-premise, net sales on a reported basis decreased 15.3% in constant currency due to lower volumes and lower net sales per hectolitre, reflecting the impacts from the coronavirus. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis declined 5.9% in constant currency, driven by unfavourable channel, brand and geographic mix, particularly in a higher margin UK business, partially offset by slightly higher net pricing. Financial volumes decreased 7.7% and brand volumes decreased 5.4%, a significant improvement from the year-on-year declines experienced in the second quarter as more on-premise accounts were opened, even though many were not, not operating at full capacity in the quarter. We have also greatly improved our capacity levels to meet the higher levels of demand in the off-premise. Europe's underlying EBITDA decreased 8% on a constant currency basis versus the prior year, driven by gross margin impacts of volume declines and unfavorable geographic and channel mix, 
partially offset by lower NGNA expenses as a result of cost mitigation actions to navigate the coronavirus pandemic. Which takes me to our financial outlook. On March the 27th, we withdrew our guidance due to the uncertainty driven by the pandemic. With the rise in the new virus cases in both North America and Europe, governments are mandating new closures or imposing lockdowns to varying degrees, and thus that uncertainty remains. As a result, we have not reinstated guidance, but are providing additional visibility on forward trends and a perspective on how we believe we will be impacted by the coronavirus. We do not expect to continue to give this visibility once conditions have stabilized or we resume guidance. And we are very proud of our performance and agility in navigating the coronavirus pandemic and executing against our revitalization plan, but recognize there are still headwinds ahead. The pandemic continues to impact our businesses due to on-premise losses and across all our geographies and disproportionately in Europe. Also, we continue to face supply constraints. However, we do expect to return to full inventory of 12-ounce industry standard cans by year-end, and we're making progress on remediating constraints for the Coors Light tall can. As a result, we expect domestic shipment trends in the U.S. to be higher than brand volume trends in the fourth quarter as we continue to build inventories. For MG&A, we expect marketing investment to increase in the fourth quarter from the prior year as we build on the strength of our core brands and ramp up support for key innovations like Blue Moon Lifestyle, Vizzy, and Coors Salsa in alignment with additional supply coming online. We will continue to be nimble, adapting to the environment to ensure we are achieving the highest possible return on our marketing investments while supporting strong brand equity. Therefore, as of the third quarter, some of our anticipated fourth quarter spend will be dependent on factors, including the occurrence of large sports and events. And finally, as discussed on our second quarter call, in the fourth quarter we will cycle lower incentive compensation and a non-recurring vendor benefit, which occurred in the fourth quarter of 2019 and totaled approximately $27 million. In response to the coronavirus pandemic, pandemic, we have shifted our focus to ensure adequate liquidity for the near term while positioning the business for medium and long-term success. This included a, des a desire to maintain our investment grade rating, which is important for all of our stakeholders. Being investment grade rated reduces our cost of debt, improves our access to capital markets, including co commercial paper, and gives us more operational flexibility to execute against our strategy. As previously discussed, we have significantly improved our liquidity position by favorably amending the covenant terms of our $1.5 billion revolving credit facility, adding a 300 million pound commercial paper facility for our UK business, which is incremental to the borrowing capacity under the $1.5 billion facility, suspending the dividend in May for the remainder of 2020, reducing previously planned capital expenditures by around $200 million for 2020, and generally reducing discretionary spend where possible. And in the third quarter, we continued to reduce our debt position with a payment of 500 million Canadian dollars that was due using a combination of cash and commercial paper. As of quarter end, we had reduced our net debt position by just over $1.2 billion since we began the revitalization program. And we have maintained strong borrowing capacities on both our facilities. As of October the 29th, 2020, we had $1.4 billion under our U.S. facility, 
and the full 300 million pounds under the UK facility in available capacity. So, we invested in our business to support medium and long-term growth objectives. In addition to necessary safety and maintenance projects, we are making capital investments that deliver cost savings and high return growth initiatives, such as our significant investment behind hard salsas and innovations in our Fort Worth and Milwaukee breweries. Now, over the next few years, we plan to prioritize capital investment to include hundreds of millions of dollars to add significant capacity for our innovations, including salsas and slim can capacity. Given the operating environment, we are very pleased with our third quarter financial performance, making another quarter of progress on our revitalization plan to drive long-term value creation. We achieved solid financial and operating results and again exceeded top and bottom line expectations. And we did so while navigating the continued challenges posed by the coronavirus pandemic, further improving our liquidity and investing in efforts to advance our long-term goals. We are mindful of the challenges and continued uncertainty ahead and remain focused on doing what is best, not only in the near term, but positioning the business for medium and long-term success. And we look forward to updating you on our continued progress. And with that, we look forward to taking your questions. Operator? We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchstone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. At this time, we'll pause momentarily to assemble the roster. The first question comes from Bill Kirk of MKM Partners. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for taking the question, uh, Gavin. I, I guess I guess this one's for you. Um, as as aluminum can supply improves. What are, what are the brand priorities? Do you reintroduce some of the economy brands and packs, or, or do you put the, the cans toward the premium offerings? And I guess I'm asking it in the context of what you expect from consumer spending strength going forward. Thanks, Paul, and uh, good morning. Look, um, our 12-ounce industry cans um, supply is stabilizing, and um, you know, we've already seen it increase incrementally um, over the last four to five weeks, and we expect that to continue incrementally increasing through the balance of the year. Um, we've had two um, constraints, uh, particularly. One would be the, the uh, tall can for, for, for 12 ounce, which is what Coors Light and, and Keystone Light go into, into primarily, and then the, obviously the 12, uh, the, the 12 ounce tall slim can. Uh, that's been more driven by the success of Busy and Blue Moon Light Sky than it has necessarily been by, by shortages. In terms of, of prioritization, obviously Coors Light um, gets uh, f uh, first priority for us when it comes to the, uh, to the tall can, and we've made some adjustments um, on uh, slow-moving products that have, that, that have been packaged in that can um, to make sure that we can fulfill uh, Coors Light. The, to your second question, uh, from a trade-down point of view, you know, look, but we haven't actually seen that um, at this point in time. In fact, we're seeing quite the opposite, uh, both in the U.S. and in, um, and in Europe. As, as well as Canada is, I think consumers are finding that their, that their dollar stretches a little further in the off-premise than it does in the on-premise. So we're actually seeing the opposite. That, that, that's super helpful. I'll, I'll jump back in the queue for, for a follow-up. Thanks, Paul. The next question comes from Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Please go ahead. Great, thanks, good morning. Um, Gavin, I mean, you was, it was great that, um, you know, in your prepared remarks, you addressed the, the complexity conversation. Um, but I would like to just go maybe a step further to understand, 
how you're evolving the organization to handle the increased complexity, and then with regard to distributor relationships and you know, how do you work with them to prioritize, to set priorities, I guess, and, and, and to manage sort of what's working, what's not, how long do you give some of the activity to, cl you know, to click into, okay, this one's got, you know, got some legs, let's really push it. Because the activity has been tremendous, and obviously looking at the price mix this quarter, it, it, it's helping and mattering and it's getting attention. Um, but there will be a point where resource allocation and having to make choices comes into play, and I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Thanks, Lauren, and good morning. Look, uh, it depends what lens you look at this through, right? So it, it, let's look at it through three lenses. From a, from a retailer point of view, they're well prepared for innovation. They're hungry for it and, and um, expecting it. So I, I see no issue there. From a distributor point of view, 80% of them already carry non-alcohol products, and 50 of them 50% of them carry wine and spirits already. So they're actually ahead of us. Um, and we're playing catch up with them. Uh, they manage and deal with, with tons of complexity. And Lauren, I would tell you the vast majority of them are very excited about the moves that we're making and can't wait to have these brands in their houses. And then you look at our business. And you know, that's exactly why we structured ourselves as we did at the time of the, of the joint uh, venture and formed this emerging growth team under Pete Marino's leadership. It's a, it's a small team of passionate and very dedicated specialists in their, in their field. And, you know, Lauren, arguably there is even more focus behind the core since we actually made this um, organizational structural shift under the revitalization plan. And you can see that in the strength of core brands and the innovation coming through and above premium. Um, of course, we're going to continue to leverage capability through the CCOE and, and back office. Um, but you know, there's, there's, there's little additional complexity for our sales and marketing um, groups that focus on our core business and our above premium business. And then from a supply chain point of view, these products are not going through our breweries. They add no complexity to our breweries at all. Um, we are expanding our warehouse uh, capacity, and, and obviously they use the same ordering, ordering systems and tools. And then the final point I would make is these things are, although we announced them all within a tight, uh, probably two months period uh, window, these things are all, the timing of them is all different. You know, Yingling will come in the back half of next year. Um, La Colombe will come in the front half of the first quarter. Um, you know, Topo Chico Hot Seltzer will be in the second, um, back end of first quarter, early in the second quarter. So from a timing point of view, these things are not all landing at the same time. So, you know, I think, um, there, obviously, there are questions about it, but we're managing it now, and we're managing it effectively. Okay, that's great. And then, with regard to sticking with portfolio, with you know some of the bigger brands, you know, obviously the work on on Blue Moon really rejuvenated that that franchise. But as you're thinking about adding, is there anything in the portfolio that you're also looking at in terms of trimming? You know, because we still get back to the question of, you know, some bigger brands that you know have still been slower to to turn and, and, and maybe there's a point at which we say the new is way be, you know way better use of our resources and we need to kind of cut our losses on, on some bigger brands in the portfolio. Is that is that part of the thought process as well? Well it, you know some of the can shortage in the coronavirus pandemic have forced us into making decisions around slower moving uh, brands and SKUs, Lauren, and we've done that and, and you know I would I would expect some of those uh, SKUs won't come back. Uh, so, from a complexity point of view, from a from a brewery point of view, I would I would expect uh, that we will have uh, less SKUs coming out uh, when we come out of this pandemic than we than we did coming into the pandemic. 
Okay, that's great. I could keep going, but Greg said we were only supposed to ask one, so I'm passing it on. Thank you. <laughs> the next question comes from Laurent Grandet of Guggenheim. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, and great for, for a stronger, strong quarter. Um, my question will be about the sales category. I mean, you mentioned you you were uh, you are planning to achieve a you know, double-digit market share in the sales category next year. On mass, I mean, gets you to eight percent next year. So, um, could you give us a bit more uh, granularity or color as to how you get there and uh, uh, and build the level of confidence probably for for investors? Um, and also, I mean, uh, within that, I mean, uh, how how are you I mean, uh, planning to motivate or incentivize your wholesalers who, in most part, I mean, are, are already carry I mean, brands like Truly or White Low. So I'd like to understand this a bit more. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Lauren. Look, I mean, we've got um, what we think is arguably the strongest uh, uh, portfolio of Celsius um, for uh, both consumers and for our, for our distributors. Um, you know, if you look at, at, at Visi, we're positioning Visi to, to lead um, for the better for you space. Uh, we're aiming for Coors Seltzer to become the number one beer brand in this in this in this segment. Uh, the addition of Topo Chico is going to help drive a meaningful scale for us um, with a portfolio approach. It's a known and loved um, by a very large number of, of consumers in the United States. And then, you know, Proofpoint we expect you to lead um, spirits-based uh, seltzers. So. You know, we think we've got a highly differentiated, very powerful, and very attractive um, seltzer um, portfolio for consumers, and um, our distributors are um, getting behind them. Um, you can see that in the performance of Vizi, um, you can see it in the performance of Coors Seltzer, and I've not seen them um, as excited in a while um, around Topo Chico, particularly in the markets where uh, Topo Chico uh, mineral water does so well for the Coca-Cola company. So. Um, we think we've got the portfolio, and we think we've got the distributor buying. Thanks, Gavin. And if I may add on Selzer, I mean, uh, is the uh, is the manufacturing, I mean, uh, through a contract manufacturer for Topo Chico, something we should expect just for this coming year, uh, as you you are bidding up your your capacity in Selzer, and we should you, we should think about you repatriating this in house. Uh, from 2022. Thank you. In 2021, it will be um, primarily outsourced, and, and in 2022 and beyond, um, it will be insourced, Lauren. So you got that. You got that right. Okay. Thank you very much. I pass it down. Thanks. The next question comes from Andrea Texera from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Um, so I was hoping if you can give us an idea of the cadence of the STRs in 3Q, and particularly your exit rate in September, and if you can help us with October STRs, how it's shaped up in the U.S. and also in Europe in light of the new lockdowns. And I would say if we step back broadly, how do you feel inventory levels, if the inventory levels normalized uh, at the trade at this point? Trace, why don't you take um, the sort of shipments and STRs for, for Q4, and then I'll take uh, Europe. So, well, let me let me start with um, Q3. So, as we said, the the shipment outpaced um, brand volume trends in in Q3, um, as we expected. Um, 
when we look at September year to date on the U.S. shipments, um, you know, shipments were down 6.1%. Our brand volume was down 3.8%. And for Q4, we, we expect shipments to outpace brand volume trends as well as we build inventory during the balance of the year. So we do expect a further reduction um, in this gap. As it relates to, you know, um, giving um, STRs, for um, you know, fourth quarter, we, we actually moved away from that a, a couple of quarters ago, um, Andrea. So I, I'm not really going to comment on that, Gavin. Yeah, Andrea, mm -hmm. from a from a um, from an overall environment point of view, you know, um, the off-premise in the in in North America continues to remain strong, um, and uh, the on-premise seems to have settled down at, at sort of roughly 60% of historical levels from a from a sales point of view, so you know, down roughly 35 to 40% on an ongoing basis, and we haven't seen much move on that um, uh, recently. So um, that that's sort of North America. From a from a Europe point of view, um, you know, in, in Central and Eastern Europe, we we saw about 85% of of outlets uh, reopen. Um, I would point out that the fourth quarter um, is is you know, on-premise is less of an impact for Central and Eastern Europe because there's much less tourist activity during that time period that takes place more in the, in the, in the second and, and third quarters. Um, in the UK, uh, for the third quarter, we had, we, they had good weather. Um, they, they were supported by the government's program um, to eat out um, at on-premise outlets. Um, and so uh, we saw um, much better performance from an on-premise point of view in, um, in the third quarter. And obviously, um, as we head into the fourth quarter, there's a lot of uncertainty around that because it has obviously spiked in in the in the UK, and there are localized lockdowns. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll have to, um, I, I guess, see how the uh, the quarter in in, in the UK uh, progresses. Uh, your third question there was around inventory levels, and you know, certainly our 12 ounce industry standard can supply stabilizing. Um, it has improved uh, consecutively for the last four or five weeks, and we see it continuing to improve um, into the balance of the year. Um, the shortage for some of our exciting um, uh, innovations like Vizzy and Blue Moon Light Sky um, is driven by the, the strong success of those two brands, and we would expect to see the inventory for both of them um, improve meaningfully as we head into the fourth quarter, and that new capacity comes online in Milwaukee and, and uh, Fort Worth. And, you know, obviously the shortage has been more pronounced for 12 uh, for uh, the, the, the 12-ounce uh, tall cans, um, and we we are seeing that stabilising and starting to improve. Super helpful. Thank you so much. Sure. The next question comes from Sean King of UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks for the question. Um, I guess looking into uh, 2021, um, what, what metrics or uh, cash generation levels uh, would you need to see to consider returning the dividend? Chris, you want to take a dividend question? Yeah, so hi, Sean. Um, look, you know, as you know, we, we suspended our, our dividend in May for the remainder of 2020. Um, the situation remains fluid, um, and, you know, we, we're having ongoing conversations with the board, so we cannot really comment on our dividend policy beyond 2020. Um, what I can tell you, though, is, you know, the company's got a very long history of paying dividends, and we fully intend to reinstate the dividend as soon as appropriate. Um, right now, the, the current focus is to ensure um, we have adequate liquidity and, 
You know, as I mentioned in the prepared remarks, we, we've made great impro improvements to our liquidity. Um, you know, we've reduced our net debt by, by $1.2 billion, as I said, since we announced the revitalization plan. And, uh, you know, we continue to re reduce our net debt to EBITDA um, ratio um, quarter after quarter. So um, that's about as, as much as I can tell you, you know, until um, we have the, the further discussions with the board. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Brian Spillane of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey, uh, good morning, Gavin and Tracy. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, Gavin, I guess but my question is just around uh, the, the seltzer portfolio and, um, you know, like what it will take to, to support the market share ambition that you articulated earlier. And so, so maybe if you could just give us a little bit of color in terms of, of how you're approaching that. Is, is it – uh, will it come with, you know, significantly, you know, increased, uh, like, amounts of advertising? Um, is there – or will it will it require spending to, you know, get product on the shelf? You know, it just seems like it's, it's – you know, there's a big opportunity, but there's also a lot of brands, uh, you know, trying to get into the market next year and just trying to understand kind of, you know, what resources it will take to really differentiate what, with what looks like a pretty good product lineup for next year. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Um, look, I mean, from a from a focus point of view, next year as we as we look at marketing spend, obviously we've got a big focus on our on our core brands, Miller Lite, Coors Light, and Blue Moon, and then we've got a, a a really big focus on our on our seltzer portfolio. So you know, we will be giving um, the 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 required investment behind Vizzy and and um, Proofpoint and Topo Chico and Coors Seltzer next year that they need in order to be successful in. In the third quarter, we actually spent, you know, we, we doubled our media spend from Q2 behind uh, Coors Light, Miller Light, and our, and our two big bets, uh, Vizzy and, and LightSky. And in the, in the fourth quarter, you can expect to see um, a ramp-up of support for both of those uh, Seltzers and Blue Moon uh, LightSky um, as, the, as the additional supply comes on, on, online. So, you know, those are our two primary focus areas, our core, folk, our core brands and our seltzer portfolio. Brian, and we'll put the necessary money behind it to make sure they're successful. Uh, the early signs are good. They're, they're very differentiated. They're, they're, they're clearly resonating um, uh, with consumers and uh, you know, lots of excitement from the distributors as well. And Gavin, is, is there any sign that just there's, their competitors are spending to get shelf space? Just trying to understand if there's anything that we should be look, thinking about there in terms of, you know, is, is, is slotting or, or just, you know, any, is, it, is it getting expensive to get, get product on the shelf? Yeah, Brian, in the alcohol space, it's illegal to pay slotting fees. So they wouldn't be um, in the United States. Um, so they wouldn't be doing that. Or if they were, that would be a problem for them. Um, Certainly, from a from a media and, and national spend point of view, um, and the strength of our chain teams and our selling teams, uh, that's how you get shelf space um, in the in the U.S. And um, we're confident we're going to get it for our four brands. Thanks, Gavin. The next question comes from Steve Powers of Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Yes. Hey. Thanks. So um, I'm not sure if this is disclosed somewhere that maybe I overlooked today, but can you talk about where the above premium um, part of your portfolio sits as a as a percentage of the, the total uh, in the U.S. at least? I know you said it was at an all-time high, which makes sense. I'm just wondering if you can give us an order of magnitude. 
And, and more importantly around that, just given all the learnings you've had and all the new initiatives. That- Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.